You have reached a phone call from Paul. Prepare to be entertained and moved. A chat with Elizabeth Gilbert, part two. So in Miami now, you you mentioned two things. You're thinking of your your next book, which which might be a novel, but you're also reading. Maybe let's start with reading. What mm. what, what are what are some of the things you're you're reading now that when you're not you know speaking and on this book tour for 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 Big Magic? What are you? What is filling your soul? Well, there's stuff I'm reading because I want to help friends. So I have some manuscripts that I'm reading for people right now. Um, and that's something that I like, you know, when I have time, I like to be able to do. Um, that is not so much filling my soul. Yeah. <laughs> In some way it is because it's me feeling like I'm a member of a community and I'm helping people and I'm giving them blurbs and I'm, you know, maybe finding an agent for their book or that sort of thing. Um, but what I've been reading lately that I think is great, well, Adam Phillips, actually. Um, you, you really put me on an Adam Phillips kick. Um, so Unkindness is something that I've been reading and On Balance at the same time as a book. A magnificent book where he Wonderful. talks maybe that the, the point is not not balanced necessarily. It's yes. so interesting, yeah. Yeah, um, and I've been very much against the word balance in the way that it's being used lately. Every time you open up a women's magazine and some celebrity is being interviewed and, and, and we're being told about how she found balance between motherhood and health. <laughs> and I was like, oh, can we just embrace the glorious mess that we are rather than trying to yes. things and, and, that was never... And the fact that so many of the things be we, right, and so many of the great moments in our lives are uh, precisely about, you know, falling, falling. and then you know yes. we fall in love. I mean, there's so many yes. things about about this fall, and it begins, you know, yeah. in biblical times, obviously with a grand fall, the whole yes. story begins. So, so this notion of you know finding equilibrium in that yes. way might be misguided. But, and I but, like the I like the word equilibrium better. Right, equal yeah. freedom, e freedom to fall in any direction. That's right. <laughs> so, what, what besides Adam Phillips? Yeah. What, what, well, I'm also reading David Mitchell for the first time. Um, I had never read him before, and I read um, The Bone Clocks. I thought it was fantastic. Have you ever interviewed him? No, no, oh, no. So but, great. but how so great. great! How I I I, yeah. I I I now I have at least two recommendations. <laughs> the first one, the first one was. Uh, uh, um, Dave, is it David Hall? No. Um, Donald Hall. Donald, Donald Hall. Donald Hall. Donald Hall. The book is called Life Work. Is, 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 um, particular, is that, that is a particular book that you should you think I should read? Definitely. It's very, it's a, it's a, it goes down easy. It's a very slight but very rich memoir about, I think the first line is, I've never worked a day in my life. Um, and it's talking about the kind of work that he's done because he's always been an academic and a poet. And then he goes back in the history of his whole family from New Hampshire and all of the, what they did, which he considers actually working, you know, having farms and businesses. And, and, um, and then he's lived the life of the mind, really. But it's, it's very, very beautiful. And is, is there a particular po poet you, you, you love? A, po a poet of his you, you love? Um, I'm trying to think if I can come up with one offhand. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. No, it, 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 you know his poems about his his former wife, um, Jane Kenyon. He shares something in common with Jack Kilbert, 
which is that they both lost the love of their life. They both married a much younger woman, and both of them had that woman die, as, as Jack Gilbert said as well, um, which my husband, who's older than me, calls breaking the rules. <laughs> he's like, whenever we talk about Donald Hall or Jack Gilbert, he said, those women broke the rules, right? Like, I do not, don't you dare die before I do with this huge age difference before us. That's not that's breaking not the rules. You're not supposed yeah. to do that. Yeah, you're not, it's not permitted. Um, so, so they, he has written, as Jack Gilbert wrote a cycle of poems about his wife, Michiko. Um, Donald Hall has written yeah. extensively about Jane Kenyon. Um, Jane I mean, I can't, I can't let that yeah, moment I mean, go, of course, yeah. of, of talking of our shared passion. Uh, you know, um, for, for, for Jack Gilbert. I mean, I, in particular, yeah. I, I know you and I have, have spoken about one poem that we both love called Failing and Flying. But, yeah. but, but, and you begin Big Magic. I was so surprised and so delighted, obviously, that you begin, uh, Big Magic, uh, your, your newest book with, mm-hmm. with Jack Gilbert. So, so for, for those people who are listening to us now who don't know Jack Gilbert, tell them something about him because I must say for me he was a tremendous discovery and and mm. I, I just love his poems and I I also love I might say the Paris Review interview with him which is oh. so fantastic brilliant interview well there was nowhere else I could start with Big Magic than with Jack Gilbert because he is my poet laureate I think we all have a poet laureate of our lives um, you know somebody who's and it doesn't have to be a poet. For some people, it's a, a novelist or a filmmaker. Um, but for me, Jack Gilbert is, is, is the essence. He was an American poet, not very widely known while he was alive because he didn't care. He had never promoted himself in any way whatsoever, but, but always very highly respected. Um, nominated for the Pulitzer with his first book in the 1950s, um, won the Yale Younger Poets Prize. He was a poet's poet. Um, but he lived this remarkably uncompromising life where born in Pittsburgh in the 1920s and went out to California to become a poet as a young man and then had great success with his first book, got very famous, he was very handsome, very charismatic, he certainly could have been a figure in the literary world and a rock star and instead he decided he wasn't interested in fame as he said in the Paris Review yeah. interview, he said, he, I like because he said, it's not that it's corrupting or corroding, it's just that it's boring, it's the same thing every day. <laughs> you go places and people get excited to see you, it's sort of dull. And he decided he wanted a life that was different every day. So he vanished and went off and lived in Europe for 20 years and mostly lived in Greece on a mountaintop and wrote poems but didn't share them for almost 20 years. And then produced another book and once more blew people's minds and then disappeared again this time to Japan. Produced another book after 12 years. Um, I always say he was like a, a rare orchid that only blooms once every decade or so. Um, and when he bloomed, it was always a spectacular event. And his work to me reads like women, it reads like the Psalms. It has magnitude and, and grandeur in it. It's like not afraid of magnitude. Um, and, and my favorite poem of his is one called Refusing Heaven, where he gets the most articulate defense I've ever heard for why you must fight for joy even in a world of sorrows. And the line I love so much is when he says, um, we must have the, uh, he said we can do, we must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness and the ruthless fairness of this world. To me, that's as good as anything from the Psalms in terms of human comfort and how to live. You know, once again, a quotation comes to my mind, which is something I've always loved of Camus, where he says, one has to love life 
before loving its meaning. For when the love of life has left uh, us, no meaning can any longer console us. Oh, oh, that's so wonderful. So to just to love life without needing to understand it, right? Yeah. Um, and in, yeah, and in some way, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's 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 this, this, and I think many things you you have said over the years are, are this kind of uncompromised call for joy, even in moments of of tremendous sorrow. You know, I, I think of it uh, presently quite a lot. I think of of the great lines in in Beckett. Um, uh, in the unnameable where he says, I can't go on, I will go on. And in yeah. some way, in some way, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a call to, to rectitude. It's a call to service. Um, you know, we're, we're here to, to be, um, alive while we are. You know, we're, we're and amazed. And amazed, yes. <laughs> and, and here, amazed. present. Yeah, um, you know, there's. I think there's Gloria Naylor, the novelist, who said life is not meant to make you feel good or feel bad. It's just meant to make you feel, right? Um, like wow. that. The fact that we feel things is incredible, and that we have, unlike it appears any other species on Earth, we have awareness of our awareness um, is amazing. And it's a, it's a very strange thing, and it's a very beautiful thing, and it's a, it's some, it's a very exciting thing. It doesn't mean it's pleasant. <laughs> yeah, and who said um, it? And 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 who said it would be? I mean, you know, yeah. life. No one offered that. Yeah. Nobody no, has offered. No, that. I mean, we're we're back to to things we spoke about earlier. Nobody said yeah. it would be easy. And refusing uh, refusing heaven is one of my favorite. And now we're we're in in a very fortunate position. I think it's Knopf that brought out the collected poems. And yeah. it's, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's such a gift everybody should give themselves. Even you know, even those people who who like myself actually. I remember interviewing W. S. Merwin, and I admitted to him that I had interviewed so few poets. And he said, "Oh, I know we're 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 uh, we're really a, a difficult bunch, aren't we?" And he and I said, <laughs> "I don't read enough poetry." And he said, "You've got mm. it wrong. You've got it wrong, Paul. Don't read poetry." Read poems. Uh, isn't that great? I mean, so make it, make it. Uh, don't, don't, don't construct it into poetry. I actually think there's there's so much meaning to that because I think as we age, we may we may read less poetry, we may read less fiction, and read more nonfiction. But in a way, we should go back to those older passions when we were younger, um, yeah. and, and maybe break it down to a poem a day or something that will inspire us. That's why I was asking, you know, what, what feeds your soul? And you were, you, were, yeah. you were trying to say something about David Mitchell, and I, I think I interrupted you. No, it's okay. You know, it's so funny when you were saying that W.S. Merwin thing, I thought you were going to say that he said, don't read poetry, write poetry, ah. <laughs> um, which is something I would add that you should also do. Yes. Um, you know, uh, because it doesn't doesn't have to be very good, whatever that even means, right? There's something that happens, and I've been doing that a lot lately. There's a way that I can, and I don't share them weirdly. I mean, maybe not weirdly, maybe wisely. Um, it's a really good thing for me to do for myself. I can sit down in 10 minutes and I can write, and I'm almost using air quotes when I say this, but I don't know why, and I can write a poem. It's a poem. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, I didn't say it was a great one, but it's, 
but it's a poem, and I can write a poem about somebody and my feelings about that person or something that I'm going through that can get to the heart of the thing faster than, more efficiently and more profoundly than writing a 300-page nonfiction book about it. Um, there's something that happens. I would recommend it, especially, I know you've had hard losses in your life lately, Paul, but like, write a poem. Um, you'd be amazed. It's not just, I'm, they're not I'm, just I'm, the I may, reading. I may, I may very well try. I must say, I, I do get um, consolation, as I say, not uh, not, not, uh, hopefully not cheap consolation, but uh, I mentioned the Beckett line there. Mm-hmm. There are moments like that when I think about, or maybe Seneca on the brevity of life. I think about about um, literature that has inspired me um, in moments of loss of and mourning. And 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 recently I was given a book um, of forty nine poems on mourning that wow. New Directions published because I think in the in in a certain Buddhist tradition, 49 days is about the time you take to, right. to, to mourn, not that you don't continue to, but I remember right. when Laurie Anderson did that incredible tribute at the Apollo for Lou Reed, she did it on the 50th day, um, I, think signif- wow. I think significantly, wow. I think it's you know, wow. very powerful. So this book that is, is a wonderful book published by New Directions, as I mentioned, of, of, of poems of mourning, they, they I was about to say they help. They they don't really help, but they 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 may they can soul. Yeah, they can soul in some way. The same yeah. way as, as as you know, music and music can sometimes do that. Um, right. But you know, Liz, I do, I don't want to take up um, all the time you have away from from this probably incredibly maybe inspiring in some way, but also um, grueling uh, book tour that, that you have for for big big magic and I want you to go back to the beach and I want you to drink wine with José and I want you to have time to read more of David Mitchell and the manuscripts but I want to ask you one final question which is mm-hmm. the way in which you you're living your life now um, I was I was inspired and tempted to do the same and 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 wonder how you went about getting rid of so many books <laughs> Oh, gosh, yes, because you came and saw me after yeah. I got rid of my big house. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, first, the first the first step to getting rid of your books is to acquire them all. <laughs> yeah. But, but trust me. Trust me. I've, I'm I've, sure I've, you're on that. Uh, tr- trust me. I've, I've, I've done that. I, I remember. Right. Okay. That. So you did that step, um, and I did, too. I had I had thousands of them, and then I bought a huge house, and I made a huge library. You saw it. It was yeah. very beautiful. And I lived out the dream of that. And then I realized I'm not meant to stay in one place forever. I move around more, more than almost anybody I know, although I know you, you move around a lot too. And I'm done carrying these things. Um, and carrying them is not worth it for me anymore for so many reasons, so many levels of reason. So here's how I did it. I, I went through my bookshelves and I touched each book. I pulled it out and held it in my hand and I said, am I ignited by this? And so I think what happens is when we look at a big library, we feel a general warm glow at the thought of all those books there. Right? It makes you feel sort of warm and happy. But which which are the ones that are actually creating the energy that's making the heat in that room? It's not all of them. It's not even most of them. In your own life, it's actually only really a few of them. And and so what I went through was, and, and the ignition that I felt when I would touch that book was almost mystical. And it was also, it didn't have to be because I loved 
that book, it could be because I loved that particular volume that had a huge sentimental reason for being in my life, right? That object. But mostly it was the book, like the words of the book itself. Um, does this ignite me to see this or not? And if the answer was yes, I kept it. I put it in a box. And if the answer was no, I, I walked away. And sometimes within an author, like I used to be a completist, like I have all of Martin Amos's books. But now I don't. Now I have three. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was struck by that. You, you, you know, you didn't. It's only three. You, yeah, you didn't want to do what would be culturally minded correct in some way, which is you know right. keep there's the complete three. works of. Yes, there's and only you, three that and really you said, changed and you my said to me, my I remember you said you know yeah. maybe the complete works of Dickens, perhaps those I have, perhaps because they were my great grandfather's, so they have a double ignition. Right, yeah. I have his actual physical object books and. It's Dickens. Um, but aside from that, I don't have, I'm not a completist on anybody. And, and then I called my local used bookstore and said, come and get the rest of them. Um, some of which were very valuable. I said, this is my donation to you and to the community. I don't, if you're willing to carry these boxes down three flights of stairs, you can have them all. I'm always, I'm always reminded of, of in, in, <laughs> in Latin, one form of calling possessions is to call them impedimentia. So, you know, they become impediments. Oh, right. They become, right. I mean, they become, if, if the backpack right. you're carrying is so heavy, you really don't see the yeah. landscape. Yes. And I see, you know what's weird, too, is I've had a lot of elderly people die in my life lately, and I've had to break down houses. And now when they go into really rich, magnificent houses filled with stuff, I look at them and I think, man, someday you're going to die and someone's going to have to clean the show. Gosh, gosh. <laughs> and I... And I'm like, oh, don't do that to someone here. Get rid of some of it now, right? Um, but the books, now I have one little wall of Ikea shelves in a very small bedroom. You saw it. Yeah. Every one of those books. There's an ignition spark in that room because every one of those books is a firework in my life. And there aren't many of them. You know, and, you, but and, and you know, it's it, magnificent. It, well, it brings us back to, to Gilbert in an in a, in a extraordinary way. I mean, Jack, of course, also yeah. Elizabeth. But the, the, the Jack it brings us back to is you called him your poet laureate. There are right. just a few. You, you mentioned Donald Hall, and uh, there, there are a few. In the end, we don't need hundreds of friends. You just need one. You just need one really good one. <laughs> you don't need hundreds of anything. You know, um, you know one fantastic pair of Italian-made shoes is better than a closet full of them from Target, right? Yeah. You don't need... You need all this stuff, and um, and the stuff that makes you feel ignited and excited, um, rather than burdened, is the stuff to keep. Right? Um, life's heavy enough already. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be a stevedore, and I also don't want my. You know, I've I've often told people this too. Don't let your house become a museum to mourning. So many people fill their homes with relics of sadness, um, things that were that they have to keep because they belong to dead people that they loved. And when they look at that thing, all they feel is grief. Um, you are not a museum. Your life is not a museum. Your life is a vital, living, energetic, explosive, amazing miracle. You are not a, you're not here to be a curator. You're here to be alive yourself. So some of that stuff has to go. It doesn't mean you didn't love the person. Keep one thing that makes you actually feel joyful, but the rest of it. My friend Rhea finally got rid of a table she's been carrying around. It was her mother's 
Because she couldn't get, it was a broken table that didn't suit or match or fit anywhere in her home, but she kept it forever until the day she realized, this isn't my mother. Yeah, she probably realized, why have I kept it so long? This isn't, this broken object is not my mother, it's just a broken table. And she put it on the street, she kissed it, and put it on the street with a sign that said free. Um, which is, you know, the double meaning, the table was free and so was she. Um, so that stuff has to go sometimes. It's, it's not an, it's not a violation or a, an abandonment of the person. It's a, it's a reaffirmation of your own vitality and the fact that you're still alive. You're still here. Still here. Liz. Such a, such a delight to, to speak to you. Really, really, really. And, and, and good luck with the rest of the tour and, and get back to work. <laughs> get back, back get to back work, to work. get back to work and, drinking uh, wine and to get, eating <laughs> well yes get back to work drink wine um, <laughs> and uh, you know the borderline enivrez-vous de vin de poésie et de vertu inebriate yourself of wine virtue uh, and poetry and, and, and just just have a, a magnificent time while you're doing all of that and thank hey, you for taking this call you're welcome Paul can we do one last thing yeah. I'm going to send you um, privately I'm going to send you a poem I wrote Oh, and wonderful. If you write one, send it to me. I will do that. Um, I will okay. do that. I will, I will try. I have to share these with anybody, so, so permission is granted. Um, I will send you one, and if you feel obliged, not obliged, if you feel welcome, send me one. I'll, 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 um, I'll try my hand at it, for sure. Okay. A huge, um, a huge hug to you, and thank you so much. My pleasure, Paul. I always love talking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Criminal Broads is a true crime and history podcast about wild women on the wrong side of the law. And I'm the host, Tori Telfer. I'm a true crime writer who started Criminal Broads after realizing that I was uncovering far too many out-of-control and terrifying stories about criminal women to fit in a single book. So, if you like stories about female cult leaders, con women, women who undergo <laughs> seven sessions of plastic surgery to avoid arrest for 14 years and 11 months... Uh, women who hung out with Bonnie and Clyde, or serious speculation about the deranged theory that Jack the Ripper was actually a woman, I think you'll like this podcast. Look for Criminal Broads on your favorite podcast listening app, or follow along at instagram.com slash criminalbroads, where I post a lot of photos so you can look deep into the eyes of some of the murderesses we'll be talking about. See you there! (laughs) 